In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Forgiveness of sins is at the heart and center of the church. And forgiveness of each other is the heart of your Christian life together. This is why Jesus would have you pray many times every day. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Apart from Christ's forgiveness of you, you would face the threat of judgment, hell, and eternal torment. But in Christ, you are set free from this slavery and the everlasting punishment that you deserve. And all your debt is forgiven. All the debt owed to God for your sin is wiped clean. And so by his own design, Jesus has given you his church, where you live in his forgiveness, as that forgiveness is proclaimed in his shed blood from the pulpit, as it is put upon your head in absolution, as it is your clothing that it wraps you in the waters of your baptism, the forgiveness given to you to eat and to drink in his body and blood in the sacrament. Forgiveness is the heart and center of Christ's church. Now Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Now maybe it seems to you that Peter is being pretty generous (laughs) with forgiveness. Seven times. But he wants to put a limit on it. He's happy to receive the Lord's forgiveness over and over without limit, a cup that runneth over, a generous forgiving. But he wants to know when he can set aside that forgiveness in favor of wrath, anger. And so Peter's question gets right to the heart, really to the scandal of the abundant free forgiveness that Jesus gives. Say it again. The forgiveness Jesus gives is a scandal, a stumbling block. Because Jesus forgives every repentant sinner every time. There's never a point when Jesus withholds his forgiveness from you. For many of those who confess and turn to him in faith for his mercy and grace. Never. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He is kind. He is compassionate. Like Peter, we have no problem receiving God's forgiveness for ourselves. But the scandal of Christ's cross and his shed blood is that this forgiveness then would be extended by us into the whole world. It is given to even those we think God should punish. The bully. The gossiper. The hating brother. The thief corrupt politician, the Nuremberg Nazi, the dismembering cannibal. True stories. Jesus died for them. He forgave them. That's what makes it scandalous. And second, just as Christ setting aside his wrath for mercy for the repentant is shocking to us, so also we're even more offended that Jesus would have us do the same one another. Yes, we're willing to go along, at least as far as Peter would, that is to forgive seven times, 
But ultimately, we always want our pound of flesh. In the end, there has to be justice, retribution, punishment, payback, no mercy. In the end, we want everybody to get what they deserve, and sometimes we're happy to be the ones that give it. But as Jesus teaches in the parable, the one who refuses to forgive his brother every time, that's what the 70 times 7 means, is evil, is wicked. The same Greek word there that's used is porneros, word we get, pornographical. That our Lord Jesus gives the final petition in the Lord's Prayer. He says, deliver us from evil, from the evil one. Deliver us from an unforgiving heart. To hold a grudge, to refuse to forgive your brother, sister, co-worker, pastor, spouse, or enemy, Jesus calls evil, and of the evil one, that is, demonic. And so he says, at the end of the parable today, my heavenly Father also will do to each, or to you, if each of you from his own heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Brother, of course, means specifically a fellow Christian. When a fellow Christian sins against you, you must forgive them. It's not optional. The Christian who refuses to reconcile understands neither the gravity of their own sin nor the riches of grace in Christ. The brother, the Christian who refuses to forgive, doesn't even understand themselves or Jesus. The servant's lack of forgiveness for his fellow servant is the same as rejecting the forgiveness that the king has given to him. So to the story, the first slave was about to receive the punishment deserved for all his debts. And yet it is by the mercy of the king that he didn't. But then he in turn wishes to mete out the punishment that he deserves upon his neighbor slave. Now this desire for vengeance is foreign, foreign to Christ. Vengeance is mine alone, says the Lord. And Jesus is the only man who would ever be completely justified in desiring revenge for all that was said and done to him. He who was without sin. And yet, he suffered it all. Suffered it all for your salvation. Having suffered all, and by that suffering and death, having won forgiveness for you and for all people, you are Christ. And the suffering that you experience, the injustice, the ill will, and the shame, well, that's just how Jesus suffered. And just like with Jesus, vengeance is not yours to give, only forgiveness. Wrath, anger, punishment, retaliation, and the like have no place in the life of the Christian. We don't get even, we get forgiven. We, pl- we live lives in Christ's forgiveness. And it's only if we live in that forgiveness that we'll see any of the fruits that that forgiveness promises. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love, and the like. For everyone and for anybody, especially for those of the household of faith. So we have to ask the question, what's going on in the heart of that servant who was forgiven? 
Why was the servant who refused to forgive finally given the punishment he finally sought to avoid? If the king so desired to forgive, why not just give it to the servant anyway? The servant initially spoke from a place of repentance. He said, be long-suffering with me, be patient with me. But then he, in turn, refused the work of the king. You see, that word that the king spoke, that word of forgiveness, was meant to change his heart, but he refused. The king, Jesus, who will come to judge the living and the dead, along with forgiveness, gives his Holy Spirit. And it is precisely the Holy Spirit who will pray, from Psalm 51, creates new and clean hearts in us. He does it by declaring to us the full and free forgiveness of sins in Jesus. Forgiveness received and believed has immediate and lasting effect upon you and how you view one another. It changes the way you see not only yourself as one forgiven in Christ, but how you see one another as someone whom Christ died for. And that's always true, regardless of what you think they are or what you think they deserve. Jesus died for them. To refuse to forgive not only affects you and your offending brother, but it has even more dramatic effect upon the congregation. It makes our collective witness together a joke to our neighbors, especially if someone attended as a guest and saw hatred, vile, retribution, vengeance, and not forgiveness. Remember, forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus is the heart of the church. So the greatest scandal in the Christian church is not that God forgives you in Christ or that you are to forgive one another freely and fully. But the greatest scandal is when those who call themselves Christians refuse to forgive one another. To refuse to forgive the repentant brother is to refuse the work of the Holy Spirit, to deny the forgiveness of sins that Christ gives, to live in one's trespasses and sins. So that's pretty heavy. (laughs) What's the cure then? What's the cure for the unforgiving heart? How can we overcome our grudges, our resentments, our refusal to be merciful to one another? Well, for this, go back to the beginning of the parable. Let's go back. What's the cure for the unforgiving heart? Let's go back to the beginning of the parable. The answer is actually in the numbers. Consider the amount of debt. That's really the essential point that Jesus makes, the point of comparison. He says that he forgives 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is 20 years' wages. One talent is 20 years' wages. He forgives 10,000 talents, something well over probably a billion dollars, likely closer to 10 billion. That's the amount of debt that the King Jesus has forgiven you. 
and that his neighbor owed him almost nothing in comparison. You see why there's no need for payback, no vengeance, no retribution for those in Christ Jesus? Because your King Jesus is so merciful that he does what you could never do for yourself. You can never provide sufficient payment to atone even for one of your sins, let alone the whole load of them, plus all the corruption of your flesh that produces them. The point of the parable is that Jesus forgives such an extraordinary debt that you know all too well, having examined your own heart and mind. And he does it all in himself. Jesus took your sins and paid your debts for you. Chief of sinners, though you be. That makes it a little bit easier to forgive your neighbor, who has but a speck in his eye, not a logjam like you know of yours. And so St. Peter writes in his epistle, the first epistle, you were redeemed not with corruptible things, like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The cure is that Jesus forgives you. And as you live in Jesus' forgiveness here in divine service, so you have forgiveness to give to your neighbor. Everything begins and ends with God having mercy on you, a sinner. And then God's forgiveness works its way out in your love for one another. God's forgiveness in Christ is the heart of the church and it's the beating heart of your Christian life. When you believe that you have sinned, as God's word says you have, and you believe that Jesus is as merciful as God's word says he is, then forgiving your brother's sin is probably the most natural thing to do in the world. May God grant it in the name of Jesus. Amen.